And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. I'm Chris Williams. With me is my co-host, Perry Cyber. Hi, everybody! How you doing, man? I'm great! How are you doing, Chris? I'm good! I'm, I'm really good. I had the day off work today, so I'm nice and relaxed. That's solid. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. I gotta go back tomorrow, but... Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's nice. Just relaxed a bit, cleaned the house, and... Ran some errands. I went and, uh, this is not movie related, but I'm just so excited that I want to brag. So I had to go get new glasses. Nice. And uh, they're not, they're not, these aren't the new ones that I'm wearing. I'll get them in a week. But I haven't gotten glasses in five years because glasses are expensive. And uh, we found out that I've had this FSA for the last year that I have not touched. And so I have all this money that's going to go away next month. Yeah. And I can use it on glasses. Spend so, that. Oh man, I was such a big spender. Like, do you want, uh, <laughs> do you want the, uh, non-glare lens on this. Do you want them to turn into sunglasses and like all of it? I'd like the lenses with the full wet bar attached. <laughs> yes. Put those on. Do you have the air conditioner? <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I'm doing good. You, anything new with you? Oh, gosh. Uh, no. Okay, that's <laughs> nothing, nothing terribly exciting. Actually, oh, no, it'll already happen by the time this aired. Okay. So never mind. All right. <laughs> um, well, the exciting thing, we do have exciting news. We are... Uh, up and running on pretty much every platform where you can get podcasts these days. Woohoo! So if you want to keep getting us at um, michigansportsandentertainment.com or just linking from Facebook, go ahead and do that. But if you use iTunes, if you use Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, we are available pretty much everything. So For the right amount of money, we'll come to your house and do this live. I am we'll cheap. just show up. And it's not even that much money. I no. Mean, no, we can be had cheap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so keep, a look, keep an eye out there. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all those things. We'll put them in the show notes. Uh, today we're actually talking the films of Robin Williams, which I'm really excited about. But before we get into that main topic, what have you been watching, Perry? Have you seen anything interesting? Uh, I rewatched uh, for the first time in a while... Uh, apparently I've been on a Hal Ashby kick because we talked about a Hal Ashby kick the last, yeah. the last time. I watched Being There, which uh, I had not seen in a very spot. long time. Uh, Peter Sellers, uh, uh, a movie that Robin probably loved, I would be willing to bet. Uh, and you could see him in it. <laughs> you could have seen him playing Chance the Gardener uh, at some point in his life. Uh, it's a film that is... It's so good because I have a feeling it will always feel on point. No, no matter what the political situation yeah, in the country is, yeah. it doesn't feel more attuned in the age of Trump than it did at any other time in history. Because <laughs> it's really not about politics, it's about, it's about television, which uh, may be altering but is not going away. No, no, it's dominating everything. I need to, I, that's one I need to catch up on too. I, I am so glad we do this podcast because I like get to sit down afterwards and make a list of, this is what I need to see. This is what Perry's seen. I should see this. And uh, It's nice to have that kind of ever-growing list, which a lot of these that you bring up are on Criterion, and I did take your advice and signed up as a uh, charter member. Excellent. And uh, I cannot wait for that. I was actually looking through to see what movies are on Criterion, and it I, they're all good. Are you are you enjoying the uh, the free movie? Have you start, have you started have you checked out the movies of the week that they're uh, having? Thus far? I have not had a chance to watch one of them yet, um, 
But I love that they're doing that, and I will be watching those when I get chances. I'm very happy that this week's is a double feature of Albert Finney movies. That was very oh. smart. They did uh, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning and Tom Jones. Hmm. Both available until next Wednesday when they change it over. Oh. They're giving. They're just putting out a movie a week until the entire uh, entire service goes live, which is, I believe, early April. I think it's like April 9th. Woo-hoo! Yeah, yeah I am looking forward to that. Uh, there's going to be a lot of catch-up and a lot of revisiting old stuff. Um, I saw, this is not as highbrow or as, uh, it is in the pantheon of great movies, but it was one I talked about last episode wanting to see. Uh, I saw Lego Movie 2. And, oh, uh, how is it? I, you know, it's not going to win you over. Um, <laughs> if you were not a fan of the first one, I can't imagine you'd be a fan of this one. Um, it is the Lego movie. It's a little less funny, a little less clever. Uh, it still has its moments. I laughed. Um, you know, it has a nice little theme about why our, why is our entertainment so dark lately and gritty and we can treat that as grown up. And I thought that was smart. And right. I was saying that you don't have to... As you get older, that doesn't mean you get gritty and everything becomes post-apocalyptic. Um, but the big thing about it was it was my daughter's first movie in a theater. Oh, that's and such a great, great yeah, experience. It was so much fun. She was dancing and just... She was great. She's three. And she <laughs> sat through it perfectly. I think we had to do one bathroom break. But, uh, yeah, she, she was great. She had a smile on her face from start to end. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um... So Robin Williams, uh, the reason I wanted to do that this this week, or do this when we talked early about the podcast, uh, I know you had read David Koff's book, and yes. I was in the middle of reading it, and I was kind of on this Robin Williams kick last year, and into this year, where I watched the HBO documentary they did on him. I have not seen that. I, I enjoyed it. If you've read the book, you will not get anything new. Okay. Um, I, in fact, I feel like... They probably cribbed from the book to put it together. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. It's very surface level. Uh, it's short. I made the mistake of watching it right after I watched the Judd Apatow, Gary Shandling documentary. I hear that's much, much better. It's yes. fantastic. And it's it's so good. Um, but then going to this one was a bit of a letdown. But it did really make me appreciate just seeing in action, you know, so many of, of his roles and... I don't know, like, he died five years ago this year. Yeah. And obviously will be the five years of that. And I don't really get into celebrity deaths. It's not anything that I really get moved by for the most part. I might be, oh, that's a shame. I liked them. But I feel like something was lost with him. Like, there's, like, a vacuum that I can feel, which is odd because I don't know when the last time I was excited about a Robin Williams movie was. <laughs> I didn't watch the TV show he did. So, so I thought it'd be great to talk about him because I know we talked about Garp was a very formative movie for you. Yeah, Garp was a formative experience for um, the movies by far. And so I know, I know his movies have, there have been several of his movies that throughout my life have been, oh, this is my favorite movie for like a year at a time. And I just feel like he, he's someone worth talking about. Um, oh, so, absolutely. So yeah, I guess if we could start, and I'm stalling because I am trying to find my uh, note on this, but... <laughs> if we could start with, you know, when were you first aware of him? You're a little older than I am. I remember, uh, I remember being in love with uh, Mork and Mindy. Okay. So it's got to be that early. And I would have been five or six about then. I was born in 73. So in 78, 79, I'm five, six. Okay. And I remember seeing Mork and Mindy because I wanted to see Popeye and Garp. Like, I knew who Robin Williams was. Okay. And there'd be no reason for me to know that if I wasn't watching Mork and Mindy. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's that had to be what it was. Uh, 
so yeah, I've been in from the beginning, and yes, was a gigantic, gigantic fan uh, uh, through high school for sure. Okay, and then it uh, then it gets harder. <laughs> it it gets harder. <laughs> yes. Once it, you leave the '90s, in fact, once you get to the mid '90s, it gets harder to be a, a Robin Williams fan. But uh, but it's uh, and to your uh, to, to to wow. Please edit some of that out. To piggyback on what you were saying earlier, his death did not strike me nearly as hard as I kind of expected it to. Oh, really? And I think it's for the reasons you said. I Robin ceased to be interesting to me. For a long time, and not not that it's not that that's awful. Not that I wouldn't love to watch him. I did watch the first three or four episodes of the Crazy Ones, and was like, okay, I don't need to keep watching it. It's fine. I was glad he had a good gig, <laughs> but there was nothing there. I didn't much care for Weapons of Self Destruction. The last stand up special was fine. It was it was not anything like his earlier stuff, which for me we'll get into later. Is is unfair. No one's early stuff is as good as Robin's early stuff. <laughs> he is, but he's one of those guys, though, who he he would have these comebacks, like you said. Like there would be fallow periods, <laughs> and then he'd come back, and then he'd do something great and new, and then he'd have another fallow period. And I I was always holding out hope that he was one of those guys who was just going to give one of those great late in life performances, even if it was like a Burt Reynolds and Boogie Nights thing, where it's one great performance surrounded by crap for the rest of the career. <laughs> I kept waiting for that, and I, I feel bummed that we didn't get that. Um, I, I mean, I kind of want to talk more about why it might have affected me later on, but sure. But I, I was really the same way as you. Like, there's I, I know I was born in '79, so and looking back at his career. The first 10 years of my life, he would not have been in any movies that I would have been allowed to see, pretty much. Maybe Dead Poets Society. Well, Popeye, but I didn't see Popeye. Uh, Dead Poets Society would have come out when I was 10, but I would have been a little too young for it at that point. But I think it was the same thing. I remember watching Mork and Mindy with my mom. Yeah. And I thought it was hilarious. And it was just that that energy was so perfect for a kid. Like, oh, yeah. You, you didn't, and he could be talking about the crassest, filthiest things. And it would have gone right over my head. Yep. And I just, I, I loved that energy. I was attracted to that energy. I remember a story I read in some book at some point. I don't believe it was the Itzkoff book. Where by the third and last season of Mork and Mindy, when they had on uh, Jonathan Winters mm-hmm. as Mirth, his son, who aged backwards Benjamin Button style, the, uh, the ABC censors had to have someone who spoke Yiddish on <laughs> set to make sure that nothing got over, (laughs) that they didn't want to get over. That's how much Robin was just, I don't have a word for it other than dicking around. At that point, like, he's like, I'm going to do whatever I want at this point. (laughs) Let him, let him try and stop this. Yeah. And I don't even think I probably noticed him in a movie. There wouldn't have been a movie that I noticed him in probably until Hook. Oh, and, God. and I will say, Hook is one of those movies. I was 11 when Hook came out. So there was a year or two where I was, Hook is my favorite movie. I watched that obsessively as a kid. Um, and then after that, he goes right into Aladdin. He goes right into Mrs. Doubtfire. And so that's pretty much me transitioning from you know middle school to high school. He's in some of my favorite movies at that point. Which is funny because I don't think I like manic funny, like, purely funny Robin Williams that much. <laughs> like, I, I find his stand-up kind of exhausting. Oh, okay. 
This is going to get interesting. This is going to get interesting. I think when he's focused, it works, which is why I like Aladdin a lot. Because it's kind of, there's an excuse for him to do that, but it's buffered by another movie going on around him. <laughs> so you get that little release valve, like, okay, he's kind of unleashed. Now we'll move on. Here's a nice song. And then we can do it again. Or Mrs. Doubtfire. And I think they mentioned this in It's Cop's book. He's, he's playing one character. So he's, he's not jumping all over the map. So I'm like, oh, okay. I can stick with this. This doesn't drive me crazy. Yes. But I feel like his stand-up act, I always felt like I was trying to keep up with him. Oh. See, for me, the th- it took me a long time to figure out what my, what, what my reaction to Robin always was. And it's this. He was, and it's it's probably been borne out from, you know, reading more than a few, mm-hmm. <laughs> more than a few interviews in that Itzkoff book. I think that he was, at heart, he was not an actor. He was a performer. And that's a dangerous title to have. That's a, the danger of being a performer is that you are a jack of all trades and master of none. Mm-hmm. And I think the only thing that he was absolutely revelatory in was as a stand-up comic. I think his stand-up is absolutely unrepeatable. I, I don't think, he, he could not, he did not write jokes. <laughs> It was, and not that he couldn't be very funny, and not that mm-hmm. he couldn't write yeah. jokes, but I'm not saying that wasn't what it was. His stand-up was, early on, yes, a massive onslaught of energy like you have never seen. And you will never see, uh, it, I, I can't imagine we'll see anything quite like it ever again. If you, I mean, so many stand-ups, oh, they're, you know, you can trace it. It is a straight line back to either uh, uh, Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, or George Carlin. Those are the starting points for modern stand-up. And I don't know who Robin owes. Uh, Robin owes nothing to any of those three guys in particular. Influenced by all of them. You can see where he's learned. But his stand-up was, was unrepeatable. You, couldn't, yeah, no, you no. couldn't do what he did, which is why I love those early stand-up specials. The first one, uh, which was the album reality, what a concept. Yeah. And then I think it was Off the Wall, Life at the Roxy was the name of the filmed special of that record, more or less. Is is that. It is, wow. This yeah. is someone who is flush with energy and feeds off a live audience. I love the next one, An Evening with Robin Williams, which was done in San Francisco. Uh, I, I love An Evening with Robin Williams. I, I think that is about as perfect as a less than hour and a half, less than 90 minute stand-up special can be in okay. that I think it is, and if you'll forgive me a Beatles parallel, I think it's his rubber soul revolver. I okay. think it is the point at which that is a talent in full flush. Uh, it, it, it's not going to get any bigger it's only going to get better yeah. <laughs> uh or no i should say that it's not it, maybe not is going to get any better it's only going to get bigger i guess is how i really mean to say that the other way around yeah yeah he is so full of talent at that point and i can watch those specials anytime and granted i i will not discount if you want to throw at me that's because you were 13 and 14 and that was <laughs> the perfect time to see those stand-up specials i i would concede that, that entirely be because i think it was probably in my 20s when i started like Kind of noticing his stand-up, like going back and watching yeah. the clips and stuff. And I'm like, I, I just can't. This is exhausting. It's it's great in small <laughs> doses, and I think it's more of a I respect him, like sure. respect his comedy. It's just might not be for me. But I do think what you're saying. I don't know who has come along and done that after nobody. Like you look at comedy now. I mean, aside from the fact that every one of them is in jail, but uh, <laughs> you know, you look at I, everything is so 
driven by, you know, personal anecdote and tortured, you know, revelatory stuff. Jim Carrey maybe came the closest, but he was always more of just a pure impressionist. Yeah. And I, I think Jim Carrey really wanted to be Robin Williams, probably still wants in many cases, to be Robin Williams. Well, and reading that It's Cop book, it was something I had never gleaned onto from him talking or from reading other profiles about him was how incredibly jealous he was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Specifically of him. Yeah. I was like, like, he was so paranoid. He thought this, you know, that celebrity and acting was a zero-sum game and that if Jim Carrey became the biggest star in the world, there would be no air in the room left for him. Well, I knew about the Riddler, that he really pushed up as the Riddler and thought that was me and... Jim Carrey came along and, you know, was the next big thing for five years or so. But if you, even if you look at, like, some of the serious roles Jim Carrey's taken on, I could have seen Robin Williams doing The Truman Show. Or, oh. You know, I, I think he tried to, Jim Carrey's tried, when he's tried to try for that Oscar, he tr- goes for the same thing, that kind of sensitive, tortured... <laughs> And it, it often doesn't work for the same reasons. It often didn't work for Robin Williams. Robin Williams is a much better actor than Jim he, Carrey. He was, yes. All the way yes. around. In yeah. every conceivable way. I will say and, I love The Truman Show. But. And yes, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to make that speech I gave sound like, I don't think he was, I'm not saying he wasn't a very good actor. He was a very good actor. But he was also an actor who, you know, made it so that he ran away from finishing training at Juilliard. Yeah. I don't think he had the patience to be a great act to really hone the craft of acting mm-hmm. to where he could be as chameleon-like as he could as his talents would have let him be and that's fine I'm not knocking him for that I'm not saying he's lazy I'm saying nothing of the kind I'm saying this is just what was and I think it's telling I think there is as interesting as Robin was when he was serious I think that it shows and we're going to go through this in greater detail mm-hmm. it can get really painful near the end <laughs> he had uh, he he did not have a great eye for material, especially late. Well, he, he did learn in that book too. His his wife at the time for so long was picking out some of the roles that worked best for him. Sure, and but then when she was gone out of that out of his right. life. But again, th- that still doesn't. That just proves the point more. He yeah. did not have faith in his own picking material throughout his career. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to the few times when he did figure out how to balance it really well, and he does. And those are the best parts for him. I never like him straight serious. I never, I, I do sometimes like him straight funny. <laughs> but it's when he has figured out, when he's got a director strong enough to channel all that, that's when it's really, that's when he really shines. When, it, when it's a director who knows how to balance him. Uh, his comedy and his serious side. And I don't want to say that they are two separate sides. That's even facile and stupid. Mm -hmm. They are all him. (laughs) He doesn't turn it off or turn it on. He was an actor. He could find the part. What really struck me, and I see you got got a ton of notes here, Um, and I see you got a list of is that all his films? Just about. I wow. probably skipped a couple, but I was that was my start, and then I looked and realized you could cut this really neatly into three acts. Well, what, what really surprised me, I guess I had always assumed he followed kind of the thing comedians today follow, which is they start doing really broad, silly comedies, and then they kind of go into the, you know, prestige mode or whatever. And he didn't really do a movie that leaned heavily into his comedy until 87 with Good Morning Vietnam. Mm, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen Popeye, so I don't know how silly that is. But. Oh, wow. 
You've never seen Popeye? I've never. No, because Popeye was always one of those films. When I heard people mention it over the last few years, it was, do not watch Popeye. Oh, Popeye's. I mean, I'm not saying Popeye's good, uh, but I'm saying Popeye's fascinating. Like, Popeye is. I mean, it's Robert Altman. Yeah. And it's Robert Altman attempting to do something that he knows will have a larger audience going into it than he ever was going to have. And so, and oh my God, songs by Harry Nilsson. So you've got you've got Robert Altman, Harry Nilsson, and Robin Williams in Malta, I believe, is where they shot that. Probably having purchased and consumed all the cocaine reasonable within <laughs> about a good two hundred mile radius of Malta, uh, <laughs> and, it, and it kind of shows. Yeah, <laughs> it's a I've seen clips. It's a weird movie. Uh, Robin's great in it. At that say, you couldn't ask for anything better for a, a project that doesn't. I think it knows exactly what it is. It just doesn't know what it wants to be. <laughs> How's that for a, for a nice hedge of description? I'm adding that to the list. Uh, but you said you can break it down to three. How do you break it down? So I realized that I, you, they're almost perfect 11-year periods. Okay. So he starts in 1980 with Popeye. And I would argue that Popeye through Dead Poets uh, represents Act 1. Okay. And that's, the, that's how you go from here is the most famous television star... Of the late 70s, mm-hmm. takes a film career and over 11 years becomes an actor that is taken seriously enough to be nominated for an Oscar twice by that point with Dead Poets. And with Dead Poets in a part that we didn't think we'd see him ever do when Popeye came out. That's the end of the development to me. That, okay. is, that is, he is, that's, that is cinematically where he was at the time of an evening with Robin Williams. That, that makes <laughs> sense to me. He's at full flush at that point and so well known that he can jump right into Act 2, which, as you said, is a remarkable run of films that I want to talk about here in order. Hook, Fern Gully, Aladdin, Toys, and Mrs. Doubtfire. Now, I need everybody to understand, go back with me in the time machine for a moment, and understand that Toys, if you've never seen it, is one of the infamous bombs in the history oh, I have of seen motion toys. pictures. I have seen I know, toys. just in case someone hasn't. <laughs> it wrecked Barry Levinson's career. <laughs> it did not wreck Robin's career because the follow-up was Mrs. Doubtfire, which I don't know how often our listeners may visit a great site called Box Office Mojo. But if you go look at the site, they have a great way where they adjust the box office for inflation throughout time for an actor or for... Mm -hmm. They they do it in all sorts of ways. You can break down this info. Mrs. Doubtfire is by far the biggest hit of Robin's career. Oh, yeah. By far. More than Aladdin. That, okay, I guess that seems crazy to me. Yeah. And I know that's in the book that that was his biggest film. Yes. But Aladdin, oh my gosh, I remember... Understand how big he was then, that Mrs. Doubtfire, which is a film that I have not seen twice. I saw it in the theater and was like, I'm not interested. <laughs> I, I, I've never loved oh, see, Mrs. I enjoyed Mrs. Doubtfire. I, I enjoyed it as a family movie. I think it's cute. Okay. That's, um, a far, that's far too big an appellation where I'm like, no, he's done better family movies. But Aladdin... <laughs> That, that kind of boggles my mind because I remember... This is going to be foreign for any young kids listening to this podcast. <laughs> but I remember Aladdin coming out in theaters. And then I remember going to a movie theater pretty much a year later. And Aladdin was still playing <laughs> And it was not like a little hole-in-the-wall theater. This was like a star theater. Nice. And I mean, that's when movies used to just play forever and ever. That was my ringer. That was The Muppet Show. But... Uh, <laughs> Man, that, that kind of boggles my mind because I, I I enjoy Mrs. Doubtfire. I think it's funny, but it is not great. It was so huge. It, I remember it being huge. I do remember seeing that with my parents, and that's probably another one that was, oh, that's my favorite movie for like a year. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. Wow. But for me, it's going to that first period, that first uh-huh. eleven year period. Yeah. Um. Uh. So there's Popeye into Garp, which I think it really does a fabulous job of showing everywhere he was going to go. Mm-hmm. I don't think there anything there isn't anything in Popeye or Garp that doesn't indicate where he will end up. Okay. Uh. Uh, Survivors, which is with Walter Matthau and is a very odd piece of work. <laughs> they never quite figure it out. There's obviously they obviously had no written third act when they went into it. <laughs> you know this because the bad guy calls the good guy. Uh, the good guys call the bad guy to tell them where he where they are. <laughs> they rewrote a lot. Matthau and Williams did not get along on the set by all accounts. Uh, Moscow on the Hudson, which is a really fantastic performance by Robin. Uh, early which isn't an over comedy. No, not at all. I, I, I saw it years and years and years ago. It's but. really good. Uh, a movie I like called The Best of Times, the football movie, the high school football movie with Kurt Russell, that was uh, directed by Roger Spottiswood, but most importantly written by Ron Shelton, who would go mm-hmm. on to write and direct Bull Durham, yeah. Tin Cup, the uh, the finest writer director of sports comedies. Yes. <laughs> We've had over the last 30 years. I really like Best of Times. He's very good in it. Club Paradise, which is uh, a wreck. <laughs> he did it because it's a bunch of SCTV people. And I, the cast is amazing. I was going to say, isn't Candy go, in that? That's disappointing. Oh, everybody. Dave Thomas, Rick Moran. Uh, really, it's mostly the SCTV Man, that crew is there. Uh, he swerves into hardcore drama for the first time with Seize the Day, which doesn't even get a real release. It ends up being released on PBS. Uh but then you've got what for me is the quintessential Robin Williams performance, which is Good Morning Vietnam. We just rewatched that this weekend. Which is absolute perfection. That but, is a great movie. Yeah, that Barry is. Levinson knew exactly what to do, and Robin trusted him. Yeah, I, I we I had seen that probably about ten or fifteen years ago. But I knew before we recorded this, I needed to rewatch it because I remembered not 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 liking it, but not really being taken with it, and maybe I just wasn't watching it fully or something at the time but <laughs> what what really i love about that is i think everything outside the radio booth is fine like it, it, it's a well-done drama i think it you know they don't make these movies anymore where it's kind of an adult drama comedy you know just kind of mid-tier no end of the world no, nothing like that <laughs> But then you go into those radio scenes, and they are just still so electric. Like, 30 years later, like, the energy in our room changed when those were on. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, that is such a good movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's I, so <laughs> funny. Like, all those references should, to me, hold no meat. Vietnam references, Lyndon <laughs> B. Johnson's daughter, should have no... No reference for me. I, I was born years after Vietnam. <laughs> and, you know, I was eight when that movie came out. But man, that movie is still funny. <laughs> <laughs> it works, and I and I actually think it works very well as drama too. I think it plays mm-hmm. off both really, really well. It's not true life. It's not a documentary about Adrian Cronauer. His real story is fascinating, but it's not this story by any means. The scenes in that that work so well too are where he's teaching English to. Oh sure, it, it, they just and the Itzkoff book kind of gets into that that they would film before they get to the, you know, where they were scripted to be, just to kind of let them riff with yeah. the people. And you can feel kind of that chemistry he had, and it almost feels like you're just kind of eavesdropping on, on that point. Yeah, it's it's a great film. It's a great performance. He got his first Oscar nomination for it. Uh, ended up losing to uh, Michael Douglas for Wall Street that year. Yeah, there's no way anyone's going to beat Michael Douglas. Uh, yeah, but looking back on it... <laughs> which movie is age? Which, which, is, which is the better performance? 30 years on, I will take Robin Williams. And... <laughs> We never did get Vietnam Never Sleeps, so... (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. And so that, and then that leads to Baron Munchausen, which he does as a lark for Terry Gilliam. Yeah, I remember and, seeing that. And, uh, and then Dead Poets. And that gets us to, uh, oh, sorry, no, there's a whole nother run here. Of Cadillac Man, which is a film that isn't good and I like very much. Okay. I have a hot sauce spot for Cadillac Man, but I have a sucker for, and we'll talk about this probably in many episodes to come, I am a sucker for hostage movies. Oh, yeah. I, that is an inherently fantastic situation for drama or comedy. So I probably have a soft spot for that, plus I love Tim Robbins. Let's go back real quick. Sure. What are your thoughts on Dead Poets Society? Oh, we're about to get to it. We'll, okay. We'll, okay. We're, we're gonna, okay. We're, we'll get to it. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when the time comes. Uh, because he does Awakenings... Uh, shakes the clown, <laughs> which he does for an old friend, Bob Goldquaid. Yeah. He goes way back with uh, Dead Again, which is a film I love. It's a supporting part for Robin, but I love Kenneth Branagh's Dead Again. Uh, and then he does The Fisher King, mm. which is the only other argument I will take for Robin's finest film performance. I think he doesn't get better than either Good Morning Vietnam or The Fisher King. We actually, I had never seen The Fisher King. Oh. I knew, I, I knew that movie was held up very high by people. And so I'm like, okay, I gotta see that before I talk about it. And we actually watched that immediately after Good Morning Vietnam. Ooh! Which oh. I had no idea what I was going into with The Fisher King. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't watch any trailers or anything. I was not expecting to be so dark in places. But I, you know what, I might actually put that ahead of... I think Good Morning Vietnam is probably his most iconic and most, you know, indicative of what he was capable of. You know, that's the movie he's remembered for is Good Morning yes. Vietnam. Fisher King, he has that scene where the red knight comes in yeah. after he's had that kiss, and he just has a line like, let me have this. And that line just gutted yeah. me. It, oh, that's such a good movie. It's a fabulous performance. It's, uh, you know, it was, the, it was Richard Lagravenese's first produced script, and I love his story. Lagravenese went out to Hollywood to become a screenwriter and had <laughs> with him an arsenal of screenplays he'd written like four or five scripts that he was convinced were going to sell they were totally commercial and he could not get any bites on any of them he could not sell any of these he could not pitch any new ideas nobody was buying uh, and he's, he's a smart man he's a great writer and he said well I would be stupid if I didn't write one that I just wanted to write mm-hmm. and try to get that that was the Fisher King <laughs> that was, it's a great script it's the most disciplined Terry Gilliam has ever been <laughs> as a director. Uh, I think that you could not ask for a better foil for Robin Williams on screen than Jeff Bridges, oh, he is who is too. talented enough to play with him and not let him run away with it at the same time. He does for Robin what John C. Riley does for Will Ferrell. For Will Ferrell. Yes, quite frankly, it disciplines him mm-hmm. in really great ways. Uh, I love The Fisher King. Uh Dead poets for me, I disliked at the time, and nothing, nothing has happened in the in the years since to make me like that movie anymore. I think it's, I think it's a really lazy movie. That <laughs> I I watched it again. We I think that was what we watched shortly after Robin Williams died, like because my wife had never seen it, and I remembered it very fondly. But I think it might be the writer in me. Like writers <laughs> tend to love that movie, um, and, and I do think it it hits every note you think it's going to hit. And you, from the start, you know exactly where it's going. Yeah. I have a soft spot for it, but I it could very well be nostalgia. Um, because I I think it's a movie of some really great moments that don't really add up. I do love that moment. That, that moment in the hallway 
you know, where the carpe diem moment. I like that moment a lot. Yeah. And it did give us a great Saturday Night Live skit. A few I was going to say, that, that is my, f- I love that skit because I don't like Dead Poets Society. <laughs> That's a brilliant skit. If you've not seen it, maybe we should just link to it. I, we should probably link I, to it. I can't even remember what it's called. Mr. Blanding says goodbye. It's, it's not Blanding, but something like that. Yeah. It. Yes, it's, it's really, really well, it's really well done. Um, yeah, I, I we call this opinionated movie talk. Here's your opinion. I think Dead Poet Society is the worst script that's ever won best original screenplay. Okay, I think it's I think it's a cliche written hack. And it, it, I will not disagree. And with I will I will accept this. Uh, I will accept this uh, response in full. If you happen to think that that's true of Goodwill Hunting, which I would completely understand. Uh, I, I will accept that. I disagree with you. I think Good Will Hunting is a much better script and a much better movie, but I understand that same reaction. It is a really well-designed series of scenes that you have seen before that are just done very well. And uh, so, I, that said, I, I, am, I am more than... I am, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm right. No, I think I'm just saying I'm right. I, I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I, think he's, I think he's fine in it. But I, I think it's like you said. I think Peter Weir is just a really good director who can direct some of those scenes. But you've seen this movie a hundred times, yeah. And also, Mr. Keating's a very reckless teacher. So um, <laughs> I, will, I will just say you that. Shouldn't deface books, Chris. This is wrong. <laughs> Maybe don't. If you if you think you're, you know your kids might die as a result of telling them to seize the day, seize it a little loosely. <laughs> you might be misreading the room. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little strict school for, uh, anyways. So yeah, now we're in the 90s. (laughs) We are in the 90s. As we said, he hits that run in 91 of where he is the biggest star in the, biggest movie star on the planet. So we've got, in quick succession, Hook, Aladdin, Mrs. Doubtfire. My favorite thing in this period, uh, before we get into the late 90s, is actually, did you ever see his turn on Homicide? The TV show Homicide, Life in the Streets? No, I don't think I did. Which was Barry Levinson's show. And he was very loyal. Say this to Robin. He was very loyal for mm-hmm. the people who were good with him. Robin Williams, uh, and Barry Levinson was great for him. Never as good as Good Morning Vietnam, but that's fine. Uh, he played a killer in Homicide Life on the Streets, and he's great. It's really, I, it's really chilling, and it works. And it was such a great thing to do at that point. Coming out of Doubtfire. Yeah. It was so great to see this him so swing the other way. If you can if you find the episode, dig it out. What's funny is I've read a lot of film of TV criticism that talks about homicide. Yeah, and that's always the episode they point to. It's great. It's, that was kind of their swing for commercial success that they never really found, but it was the moment yeah. they kind of established the show. Uh, then, then we get into uh, this. Then begins the run of films that I'm going to call sensitive Robin. <laughs> this is when Rob, this Robin. This is the wor- This is not good for Robin. This is when Robin decided he better start saying something. Uh, and so we get uh, we get being human, <laughs> which is not nearly as bad as other films like it that are going to come down the pike, but shows a, a way he's going to go that I don't like. He follows that up with nine months. Which is, is a, a gift film. to Chris Columbus. Yes, yeah. That's what that is. Uh, Jumanji, which I've always hated. <laughs> I, I'm glad you said because I know so many people. Jumanji's kind of like hooked to them, and I eventually saw the light on Hook. But there are people who still haven't seen the light on Jumanji. I'm like, hey, that movie's terrifying for kids. <laughs> In the, it is the Robin Williams that I hate the most, where he's just kind of the childish imp who I don't know. Nothing <laughs> yeah, else. You he's love just Hook. A, I don't know. I don't love. Okay, I know. I'm, okay. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't like Hook. I want to get that on the air. I liked Hook. Then, <laughs> well, then I watched Hook no as an adult. Tense. Yes, yes, I liked Hook and then I watched it as an adult. And nope. Uh, and then he gets, we get for me, I, I think the last, uh, other than Goodwill Hunting, the last great Robin Williams performance and the last one that really did a wonderful job of simultaneously showcasing his, his, his comedic skills in a really disciplined way. And that's the birdcage. Again, Mike Nichols there. If you were an actor and you got to work with Mike Nichols, go, you were lucky. (laughs) Nichols just knew what to do both as a storyteller, as an image maker and as a director of actors. He was as good as we have ever had. And boy, to cast Robin Williams as the straight man in that story which and to keep didn't him happen. to it is so brave and so exactly right. And knowing Robin was capable mm-hmm. of it and letting Hank Azaria and Nathan Lane go nuts and Gene Hackman have a blast in this part. I love The Birdcage. I think it's a really un, uh, underpraised film. I would agree with you. First off, and this kind of goes back... Uh, Birdcage was what? That was late 90s, 98? 97, I was a senior in high school. And I brought this up before. Like, I Maybe think, even earlier. It was, it was 97 or 9. I was a senior, I think. Which would have made it 97 or 96, maybe? I'm looking it up while you talk. All right. Well, I grew up, I, I've said this before, I grew up in a very, like, you know, strict Baptist home. So there were teachings about homosexuality that, like, it was not something I saw movies about. And I remember I went and saw it with a friend who... Later came out, and I feel like this movie was the movie that let me kind of start. 96, he pulled that up. So yeah, I would have been if, probably a junior or senior in high school. And I feel like this was the movie that first made me, you know, kind of soften my... Allowed those views to soften and kind of let go a bit. So I, I always liked that. I always have held that movie very dear because it... You know, it personalized it. And that was nice. They, they, when you see, well, these are nice, you know, they're nice. They're just like us. Not just like us, but, you know, they, these <laughs> characters. But but they're human. And that's not what I've been taught my whole life. And it, it built empathy, but it was also so funny. It's incredibly and, funny. And I had not gone back and watched it much because I was convinced it was going to be one of those movies that held up so poorly over time that what we thought was progressive was going to actually be, you know, kind of like when you watch Friends now. Sure. And that was progressive. But we watched it probably about two or three months ago. Just oh, on yeah. A whim, just on a whim. It was on Amazon Prime. My wife and I were looking for a movie to watch, and I'm like, we couldn't agree on one, and then the birdcage popped up, and we both were like, yeah, hey, we could watch this. I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> that is such... A damn good movie. I have not. I probably have not seen it in twenty years. It's I probably saw. I probably saw it in video when it came out, and mm-hmm. I haven't seen it since. I would gladly see it again, even if the politics didn't hold. I'm sure it's still incredibly funny. I have no doubt that that film works the, for the, the ensemble hold. and for the comedy alone. Well, when you consider United States right now, sure, the politics still, still holds. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's it is so funny because Robin Williams was originally approached to play the Nathan Lane role. Yep. And I'm sure he could have played it, but I don't think he could have done as well as Nathan Lane does it. Like I think, I think he would have probably come out more stereotypical. But it's easy to think that he is the straight man. Yeah, his comedy is just like it's so internalized in that. Yes. and his frustration and, and like he just has little facial tics 
that he's are fabulous. so great. I love that movie. He's fabulous. It's a, I, movie. it's a great movie. And the original, the original French film La Cachefaux is excellent too. By the way, if you've never seen mm-hmm. that, completely worth seeing. But yes, one of the truly one of the few great American remakes of a great French film. It doesn't happen often. It happened with The Birdcage. Then it gets ugly. Then it gets ugly, Chris. This is when we start to go really, really off the chart because Jack happens. Oh, Christ. And Jack shouldn't happen to anybody. I saw Jack and I was not that old and I was not that well versed in movies. I saw it with my parents and even I know. I'm like, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> this is terrible. It's, it's bad. Uh, then he's, he had a bit part in Robin Williams and uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Which I very much like, but that's uh, that's to each his own. There, uh, the really horrible Father's Day, directed uh, by Ivan Reitman with Billy Crystal. I that's was a terrible so movie. So excited about Father's Day when it came out because yeah, it was Robin Williams, Billy Crystal. Did, yeah. you know, Ivan Reitman's directing this. This is gonna be great. Yeah, and oh, I, I left halfway through because I, this is this is radio. I have no shame. I had some massive stomach problems. And so I would have to take care of that for 30 minutes. More entertaining than the movie. Um, the only thing I remember is thinking after his death, that whole subplot of his character being suicidal just is even more acid yeah. now. There's a, there's a, there are a handful of movies that I can remember being in a movie and hating. Really genuine hate. Not, I don't like this, this is terrible. Hate. I hated Father's Day. It was one of those miserable movie-going experiences yeah. I've ever had. Totally agree. Uh, it follows up with his one Woody Allen film, Deconstructing Harry, which is a very interesting 90s-era Woody Allen film, uh, and Robin's part is really good in it. If you're interested, check it out. Uh, then comes Flubber, and now we're getting into the family-friendly Robin Williams, which mm-hmm. no one likes. No. Nope. Uh, he follows that up, of course, winning the Oscar for Goodwill Hunting over Burt Reynolds for Boogie Nights. Interesting, since he wished to whip this out. Uh, which, yeah, I can go either way on this. I'm happy Robin has an Oscar. Mm. Uh, Burt Reynolds probably deserved it for Boogie Nights. That's a fabulous performance. And, uh, I'm gonna give him one more set of films here till this middle period ends. Uh, they're, they're pretty bad. What Dreams May Come, which is, uh, a, a nice attempt, but terrible. Uh, Patch Adams, which oh, is God. unwatchable. Uh, Jack of the Liar, which I've never seen. I've not seen that one. Uh, and uh, and then we're going to end with Chris Columbus's Bicentennial Man, the last point at which he could be the star of what was obviously going to be a gigantic film. Mm-hmm. That's the last time he's given. Sad robot Robin. That's Williams. the last time he was given the keys and the starring role mm-hmm. in what was going to assumed to be a gigantic blockbuster and. Uh, I can't stand the movie. I, I know some people like it. I think it's it's. I hate it not just because it's not Asimov. I have no great loyalty to. I see Asimov, <laughs> but if you know Asimov's work, it's nothing like that. And on top of that, it's just a it's just a long, boring movie. Yeah, I think I did not see that one because I had seen Patch Adams and was kind of at that point. <laughs> I'm like, I'm You're, done. I'm off the I, train. I, 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 That's it. And Patch Adams, it's worth remembering too. So many of these films, some of these were huge hits. Patch Adams made a ton of money. <laughs> and I I actually would remember talking with a girl and being really interested in her until I went to the movies <laughs> one night and she's like, oh, what'd you see? I'm like, we saw Patch Adams. That is my favorite movie of all time. And we never this, talked again. This is the... <laughs> This is the flip side of a, crit- a critic line. Somebody will use it every few years. And the last time I remember it was, I think it was whoever reviewed Jerry, the Gus Van Zant film, uh, for the Village Voice said, if uh, 
if if someone doesn't like Jerry, don't have sex with that person. (laughs) (laughs) Meaning, don't procreate the species. We don't need more of these people. We we need more of these people. We're doing more of these people. Yeah, that's where we are with with that with Patch Adams. The less said, the better. Which that was so close to Goodwill Hunting, which. I am with. I like Goodwill Hunting a lot. I do too. Yeah, I, I do too. I think the film works really I well. I would not disagree, like you said, with people who want to say it's kind of cliche and stuff. But I think they find enough life in that. Oh, absolutely! That it holds up. Like it's a good movie, it, and I like his performance in there a lot. Um, yeah, whether that should have won him the Oscar or not, it was kind. Of, maybe it was kind of that career achievement Oscar. Yes, which but, is fine. But I don't. I also don't think it's a bad performance for him to win. Not at all. It's, it's not fine. at all. Uh, that leads us to the painful Act 3, beginning in 2002, with a series of actually interesting movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, this is a film, I'm curious if you've seen it, and I'd love to know your take on it. What was your reaction to One Hour Photo? Oh, you did, you done set me up for oh, a good story. good, good, good. I did my, not know this, folks. This was not set up. Here is my reaction to okay. One Hour Photo. I literally had a stroke in the middle oh, of the Oh, you did? That was the movie? I didn't know that. I did know this. I can't believe I forgot. Yes. Um, I, I went and saw One Hour Photo because I had heard, oh, Robin Williams is really good in this. He's dark. It's his taxi driver. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go see this movie. And I remember waking up. I wasn't feeling too good. And I'm sitting through the movie. I sat through the whole movie. Um, I remember, I, I don't know if I can give it a fair shake. Because I didn't like it, but I didn't like a lot at that moment. I can't believe I forgot this. I'm yeah. so sorry. Yeah, when there had a stroke in the movie theater, which is the only thing I have in common with Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well done. Uh, well done, my friend. But yeah, I I remember thinking, nice try. Um, I don't think the movie works. Uh, but again, I, my brain was not at its full capacity. I, well, I felt like it was too far dark for him. I believe it was Mark Romanek, right, who wrote and directed that, who was a yeah. music video director to that point. Who also did... Um, the, what was the movie with Arlington Road? Never Let Road? Me Go. No. Yeah, he did Never Let Me Go later. Was that Romanek? Yep. Oh, now I have to look this up. And Mark Pellington, I think, did Arlington Road. Oh, I think you're right. All those guys I confused. Now I really have to know who did Never Let Me Go, because that's... Sorry, this is terrible radio, and we'll be editing all of this. <laughs> and we will edit all of this. Yeah, please. if you get a part where we need to edit... Mark Romanek. Yep, part, like, pause for like three seconds, and that way I know where, right, where it's at. A little bit. Good. Okay. Anyway, uh, so one hour photo for me was, it went this way. It was either Romanek is a terrible writer and a great director, or a great writer and a terrible director. Because that movie sure has a look... Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> but it doesn't make sense. So I don't know if the director saved the bad screenplay or the screenplay was ruined by a director who didn't know how to deliver it. <laughs> I think it's the I, I think it's the former because I really like his music videos and what he did with uh, Never Let Me Go. That's a movie I really like. Yeah, it's a good film. Um, but I, I feel like it was Robin Williams trying to do something different. Yeah. But you could see him trying. Well, this fits with the next two films, mm-hmm. which are, I think are all worth watching. The much maligned Death to Smoochie, which I'm going to go on the record and say I actually like. Oh, see, that was one of the most miserable movie experiences I ever see, had. And I understand that. And I'm not saying it's good. 
But that movie is really off-putting, purposefully so. Like it doesn't. It's not off-putting because it's bad. It's off-putting because it is off-putting. It is such a Danny DeVito movie. It, it is. It's. <laughs> it is such that vision, and I really like the film for that reason. I like how it goes. It goes for it. It doesn't. I felt like I had been injected with a dirty needle. After That's I saw fair. That movie. Um, That's fair. But if you're going, if you want that experience, it's I would argue that. that it is a much better movie than Shakes the Clown. Okay, yeah. yeah. If, if we're saying that this is a strain of Williams, you know, sure. to go that dark, yeah. I think it's a much better film than Shakes the Clown. I think it's a much funnier film than Shakes the Clown, much smarter film than Shakes the Clown. I do remember... I and I like, not... I'm okay with Shakes the Clown, to be honest with you. I'm not, I don't mean to sound like I think Shakes the Clown is awful. It's not great, but it's not awful. Yeah, I, that's probably not what I'm going to go back and revisit. Yeah, <laughs> but I think I know what the next one is. So go ahead. And then Insomnia. I like Insomnia. Which is, I, I love Insomnia and don't like Robin Williams in it. I think he's bland. I, I think was, he's forgettable. I think it's the great late Al Pacino performance. I was okay with him in it until I saw the original Insomnia yeah. Yeah. Uh, about less than a year ago. That's a great and that's, that's better than Nolan's And the role Robin Williams plays in that. Like, Robin Williams is bland in it, but you still know it's Robin Williams is my problem with it. Whereas yeah. the other guy is just a dude. You know what I mean? He, he's just yeah. a dude. And Robin Williams was never a dude. He never blended into anything. Like, he didn't disappear into roles. He was always Robin Williams. And yes, yeah, even Aladdin, you're constantly aware. Oh yeah, That's <laughs> because have you seen the um, the Aladdin sequels where he's not in there? And you know it's not Robin Williams. I mean, it's Homer Simpson, but it's Dan Castellaneta, but it ain't it, Robin it's Williams. Not Robin Williams. And then, uh, then it's all downhill. I don't even want to start listing these because it's really terrible. I will mention one film from this uh, after that era that I think is a truly, really great Robin Williams performance, and that's World's Greatest Dad. And that was I was going to watch that today, and I did not. have Which time. I am going to credit. I'm going to give credit to because I have spent so much time making Shakes the Clown sound terrible. Goldthwaite is a director who does not. Uh, he does not know a, cow, a sacred cow. He doesn't want to slaughter. To the point that I find him annoying more often than not as a director, and I like him as I like Goldthwait's stand up. I I think he's I like his comic mind. I don't think he's untalented. Mm-hmm. I don't care for his I I don't care for his aesthetic. I don't care for his where his comedy goes sure. in his films for the most part. But I think he found the absolute perfect pivot point on World's Greatest Dad. I think it's a very dark, very funny movie that actually is about something. Uh, so if you've never seen World's Greatest Dad, check it out. Um, if you want to see him try and disappear, oh, if you sat through Lee Daniels, the butler, and watched him try to play Lyndon Johnson, you will see the limit of Robin Williams' talent. I'm pretty allergic to Lee Daniels, so. <laughs> that's, uh, he, uh, that's the most acceptable Lee Daniels film, and that is a, a nearly unwatchable Robin Williams performance. Uh, and other than that, there's really nothing on this list. You, you may, you know, you yeah, may, you may find it. your fans. Uh, well, of course, well, and what we're neglecting is, of course, the Night of the Museum movies, where he's very good. Truth be told, he's very enjoyable in all three of those movies. But at that point, it's like you said, he is not. He's not the star. Like, right now, we're in age of Ben Stiller for for Batman absolutely. But yeah, and I, maybe that's maybe he would have settled into a character actor role had he had given himself time. But I don't know. He was. I, I don't know. I'm looking at this last. It's bad. Strain that you have it's so bad. Old dogs and 
the Happy Feet movies. Uh, I, you, there may be someone. Does somebody out there remember uh, 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 the Night Listener? Because I remember when it came out, and I thought that's really interesting. I might like to see that, and I never saw it, and I never have, and I probably never will. Sadly, I had about five minutes this year where I sat down on Amazon Prime looking for a Christmas <laughs> movie to watch. Oh, and, uh, oh, and Merry Friggin' Christmas Ooh. was on there, which I should have been warned. When first off, its title was Merry Friggin' Christmas, but I believe it's PG, <laughs> which tells you how much edge that movie's going to be. But I thought, oh, maybe I'll like this because I like Joel McHale and I, you know Robin uh-huh. Williams. Maybe you know I miss him, and I got maybe five minutes in. I'm like, I, this is a nothing. This this is not a movie I want to sit and watch. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. I haven't even heard of half the movies he's done. Angriest Man in Brooklyn. Oh, maybe only because the trailer came out right before he died. Yeah, but. God. It's 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 ugly, and 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 you know, Robin's life was ugly at that point. If mm-hmm. if, 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 if we're taking the Itzkoff book as the truth, which I'm more than willing to do, yeah, he was having a lot of problems by that point. Oh, he was having medical problems. Right. A lot of them never he never even knew exactly the extent and... exactly, and so that's where that's why it sort of dwindles away, and that when he did die. I was sad for sure, but there are other deaths that that you know gutted me mm-hmm. much harder than that, and and it's a shame because for me he was young enough that it, it should have been it should have hurt more. It's the you know the artists that die are the ones that we die, and it's the, all the work we didn't get yeah. that should have been there. That's why Phil Hoffman's death will haunt me Phil forever. Hart- okay, I thought you were saying Phil Hartman. No, Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Phil, Phil Hartman, Hartman too. too though, truth, but... Phil, quite frankly, but. Uh, uh, you know the the it the only the only the only celebrity death that hit me hard of someone who it was their time was George Carlin because Carlin meant the world to me okay. growing up that shaped a lot of my understanding of a lot of things comedy stand up how to write funny mm-hmm. how to be funny how to find the funny in things mm-hmm. uh, that death hurt it it felt like he was always going to be here it's got to be the way a lot of people felt when Bowie died like he just th- he'd always be there <laughs> I think for <laughs> he me he seemed immortal I'm trying to think of any celebrity deaths where I felt like like you know more than just oh well that's sad like Philip Seymour Hoffman that hurt I, that, that hurt because he's yeah, <laughs> so young and so many like he was so good in everything and you just knew he would be so good in everything yeah. else uh, Roger Ebert was probably the one that took me most personal, like, because yeah, he influenced yeah, my outlook on life, my writing. Um, David but, Foster Wallace hurt for me. I, okay, I am I a huge Wallace fan, and that was, and it was sad because of what a pale it put on all of the work before it. Not that it dimmed it, but it changes it, because so much of it was, you could see the depression in it in ways that you mm-hmm. didn't before, and that's horrifying and sad to to have to have to have that over all of that work but uh, such a talented writer and I think that's what happened with Robin Williams for me uh, you know when it first came out the you know the way he had died um, was so many of his roles where and they, they t- touch on this in the Itzkoff book uh, were almost therapeutic in a sense like he was the person helping someone struggle through the dark yeah. he was I think Jeffrey Overstreet who's a critic I like said no one was better at wrestling with darkness than him sometimes. And you look at the Fisher King. That's what that whole yeah. movie is. And and that all took on a new light. Well, I, I'm glad that it wasn't this guy who just couldn't handle the darkness. Like, he, there were medical issues. Yes. That seemed to have clouded, and, and that 
made it probably a, reading that the book probably made it sit a little not sit better with me, but you know what I mean. Like it didn't mean it made it a hair less tragic. Yes, 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 yeah. But I, I think it was even going back through the last year and watching a bunch of his movies, just seeing clips. There's so much humanity in everything. Yeah. And even when he, maybe not through the roles he's sleepwalking in later in his career, but even when he was in crap like Patch Adams, I could see that he at least, there was that humanity. He wanted to connect with people. Even if it was, I'm going to get you to cry and we're going to hit you with a sledgehammer till you cry. <laughs> he wanted to have some sort of connection. And I will say this about the David Itzkoff book, and I actually was, uh, uh, I sound like I'm name dropping and I'm not. I'm just mm-hmm. so happy this happened. I actually tweeted this. Uh, when I finished the book and had flagged Itzkoff in the tweet and said, this book is great because it is, it is a, it is a story about, it's the life of a completely, a, a total empath mm-hmm. written uh, as empathetically as a book could be written. Yeah. And that's why that book is amazing. And really, I, I'm going to go ahead and I think I can speak for both of us and say, really read the Itzkoff book. It really is a wonderful celebrity biography for a variety of reasons. It really will open your eyes to uh, what he was like as a person. It sheds really interesting light on many of the scandals that haunted him all along. Mm-hmm. The horrible fight with the with uh, uh, the former girlfriend. With uh, Well, girlfriend is even too strong a word. A former uh, intimate who yes. levied some horrible accusations about him in the press. Mm-hmm. Uh, the joke-stealing thing. That it, it addresses it's all, all of it. It's very tactful, but it's... And it's a great... It's, it's a too. great book. It yeah. really is a fabulous biography. Yeah, it's... I, I think it's it's compassionate. It's never... You know, it's never lionizing. He's never held up as, like, a perfect person. It, it, it's a very honest book. Yes. And, and it gets his flaws from the start. I mean, it's... it's you Yeah. It's a great book. Yeah. I highly recommend that. That is... Uh, we're watching here's book report for the week. <laughs> Um, but no, I highly recommend it, especially if you're thinking, well, I don't have time to read a book, but I'll go watch the uh, Step Inside My Mind on HBO. No, don't read do the that. Book. Read the book. It, it, most of the same stuff is covered in much more depth and it, just so much better. Uh, yeah, do you have anything else you want to say about Robin Williams? I can't believe we were on the run of earlier, earlier. I just, I can't, I can't go this long without talking about Robin Williams without mentioning, I, I said earlier that if, if any, uh, an evening with Robin Williams... That stand-up special is his rubber soul and revolver. I do want to say that Robin Williams at the Met is his Sgt. Pepper. <laughs> that is a truly perfect stand-up okay. special. And if you've never seen it, oh, you're in for a treat. Uh, and I would rec- I would recommend the video over the album. I think it's stronger. It's, I think in it's most a little cases different. that would be the case with him. Um, it, is the, it is the one time he really honed the act to a sharpened point. Okay. And he had... He had a mission for that 90 minutes. It was all about something and led to something. And it was him as sharp as he'd ever been. I think it's his finest moment of his career over all of the film work. I I don't think it gets better than Rob Williams at the Met. Well, try and track that down. I I will look and see if it's streaming anywhere, and I will put that in the show notes so you guys can track that down. And I think some of his stuff is on Prime and... I, probably a lot of his bad stuff is everywhere. But, um, if you see RV, just stay away from RV. Um, you think you want to watch it because there's there's some funny people in it, but they're not funny, and it, it's pretty bad. But if we can encourage you to revisit, uh, you know, the Birdcage or uh, any of the other films we've talked about that yeah. you might have let get by you, go back. It's it really is worth it. The Birdcage, uh, Goodwill Hunting, I, I, it's worth a visit. That's always popping up on Netflix. Um, the Fisher King, Fisher King, Good Morning Vietnam. 
Um, Aladdin. I mean, see Aladdin before Will Smith is Aladdin. Yeah. Actually, see Aladdin before the rights to William's likeness expire in 2039, and Disney <laughs> will reboot it with a CGI Robin Williams, I guarantee. <laughs> but to end it on a positive note, any of the other movies are great. Birdcage. Birdcage especially. That's on Prime. Go see that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I agree entirely. Well, that's the time we have for today. One thing I forgot to mention up front, we do have a Patreon now. So if you enjoy this show and you want to contribute to it, uh, we have some fun incentives there. We're going to do some fun things for our patrons. Uh, if you want to throw a few bucks our way each month to kind of make this show go, uh, kind of defray the cost of seeing movies, getting equipment, things like that, greatly appreciate it. Um, other than that, we'll see you in two weeks.